this is episode two of Nino Bingo, where you keep collecting dolls but never seem to win the game. Uh, last time on Nino Bingo, we we talked a lot about a specific top doll topic being a doll party, which is very, very, very fact-laden. Yeah, super facts, experiences, but I think we want to do something a little bit more interesting this time. Yeah, this time we're going to go a little bit more into analysis, which is the the fun thing, because people haven't done that that much on our contemporary dolls that we collect yet, the Asian ball jointed dolls that we collect. Yeah, and even when people start talking about BJDs specifically, there's a lot of baggage that comes into the discussion, where a lot of the times it's someone writing an article going, who people who don't even know the community aren't familiar with it at all, and there's always this atmosphere of, like, there's already a judgment being made that there's something a little strange or unusual, or they want to play up the weirdness, or... Yeah, which is almost an entire other podcast in itself. Sometimes we're going to have to do a podcast on how media portrays or, or, or views the ball-jointed doll hobby. Because, man, oh man, do I have... Like, I, like we said in the last episode, I collect... I just collect articles. And I, I even collect uh, news clips, which I actually have a few. And uh, they all... Especially the English language ones, uh, they, they they all have a very certain view. They have a slant to them that's a little bit... Cha- it makes what you're reading sort of lose validity, and it makes me question the kind of conclusions they come to. Yeah, but the, they're, they're not exactly academic journals. They're not... No, <laughs> this is true. Right, right. But the, the topic we're going to talk about today could absolutely, I think, almost be an entire dissertation. Oh, yeah, I was thinking that when we were doing the research, and the more I researched it, the more questions came up, and the more I went, wow, I kind of want to write this as a paper. Yeah, in fact, when I did uh, my presentation, which was Asian ball-jointed dolls as visual culture, a lot of what I was touching on was this. And to stop teasing around the bush here, uh, the topic we're going to cover today is why are our dolls satisfying? Why do we do this? Why do we get enjoyment from it? All of that kind of thing. Right, which is part of visual culture studies. To to uh, quote the good old Wikipedia. Ye old Wikipedia. Yeah, I know. Well, come on, it is pretty old at this point, right? Well, I mean, like, there, there's... Good enough. There, there is speaking living beings that are older, that, 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 that are younger than Wikipedia at this point, That's I'm pretty terrifying. sure. That's terrifying. Okay, I'm what's sorry. the quote that I just interrupted you saying? <laughs> Okay. Uh, Visual culture as an academic subject is a field of study that generally includes some combination of cultural studies, art history, critical theory, philosophy, and anthropology by focusing on aspects of culture that rely on visual images. That's a much better definition than what I gave last time. Well, that's okay, because we weren't really going into uh, as much as the, the human interaction of it last time. We were, we were simply going over an event. Yeah. So today we're going to talk a lot about satisfaction. And how do we gain satisfaction, whether it be... Well, I kind of want to start with is talking about the actual physical things in our brain that creates feelings like satisfaction. So we have a grounding point. Yeah, as uh, 
as wonderful it might simply to say we have feelings and they come from our heart. Um, there's also a lot of things that happen in our brain, which when you start to get into the nitty gritty there, you start to understand why the doll hobby is fun and what about the doll hobby makes it fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you want to start, Becca, or do you want me to start with what I was finding? Uh, well, let's start with a bit of information from an article from the Wall Street Journal. It's actually an older article. It's about uh, what we do a lot in the doll hobby, which is shopping. Oh. This is your brain at the mall. Why shopping makes you feel so good uh, by Tara Parker Pope. Way back in 2005, but I don't think brains have changed much since then. It, it goes over a lot of things, um, but it goes over why we get doses of dopamine, which help us feel pleasure and satisfaction. I also was reading about dopamine, and I saw a lot of things about it that really reminded me of the doll hobby. <laughs> yes, exactly. Dopamine is dosed out when you get something that is new, exciting, or challenging. What I was reading also suggested that setting a goal and accomplishment also releases dopamine. But necessarily accomplishing the goal does not. In fact, that actually is the end of the dopamine experience because MRI studies of uh, brain activity uh, actually linked dopamine more with the anticipation of the experience than the actual experience. That's really interesting because that means it's not it's not that rush you get at the end of doing the stuff. It's the lead up, the process of getting to that point. It's kind of crazy in the in the study, which was a it's, it's a very easy study to read and understand. I, I don't remember the the sample size, but quite simply, there was uh, two groups. They were alternately given drips of Kool Aid and drips of water. Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah. So they, they were studying the uh, MRI activity in the brain. Um, on the one group, they dosed out the Kool-Aid in equal amounts as the water in the drops. Okay. And they didn't really notice much brain activity, so not much dopamine. Was this like a response to the sugar content? No, no, no. So this is what happened on the other group. So on the other group, they would randomly give out the Kool-Aid. Okay. Which means, in the group where it was evenly spaced out, they weren't anticipating anything because they knew exactly when it was going to happen. Huh. So there was no way you understood when it was going to happen. However, in the group where they actually did it randomly, there was uh, spikes in brain activity from the anticipation. And wow. that's when the dopamine was being dispensed. So it's actually, oh. it's not getting it. Because it was just getting it in the evenly spaced one, you would also see the dopamine. Right, because you knew something was going to happen, then you were going to get a nice thing. Exactly. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so that kind of tells a lot about our doll hobby. Actually, another chemical that I saw that made me really think about some things people talk about when they say, like, this is why I collect dolls is something called GABA, G-A-B-A molecule. It's called the anti-anxiety molecule. What it literally does is that it slows down the firing of neurons in your brain and creates that sense of, like, deep, calm and well-being. But the interesting thing about the G-A-B-A molecule is that they've done studies where they can see that it is 
literally triggered in large amounts through doing things like meditation or other like long activities that sort of are designed to kind of calm your brain and like put you into that mode that I personally associate a lot with doing things like art or sitting down and doing an, a calming activity over a long period of time. So like a puzzle or, or I think there's a lot of, I think there's studies recently about coloring books and how, uh, how going through and coloring a coloring book is almost like meditation. Exactly. And we'll get into how this relates to what we think about dolls and satisfaction later, but it really made me think of certain things. I'm like, huh, that's like, there's, that's literally a, a calming feel good chemical from doing those kinds of activities. Ah, and which, which includes art, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Speaking of art, our dolls kind of are art, uh, are art. That's kind of hard to say in sequence there. Yeah. <laughs> speak of uh, someone very uh, well-spoken in our hobby, which is uh, Pat Hendry. Who's Pat Hendry? I don't actually, I'm not familiar. Oh, um, she wrote a bit for uh, Fashion Doll Quarterly. And in fact, this uh, quote is from Spring 2011 issue uh, from the article, Meeting Amy Ayase. Oh my God. Why is it always Amy? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, maybe we should make it our goal to troll you every single episode. At every episode, we have to mention Amy Ayase so I can remember how I didn't get Amy Ayase. <laughs> so, so the wonderful words of Pat Henry. Um... These dolls were not simply mannequins. There was a whole culture about them and a storyline in which the characters played a part. They were endlessly customizable and unlike most American fashion dolls, repainting them was a typical and did not change the value of the dolls. So, So what you see in this quote is that the idea is that they go beyond simply an object that is purchased and become something where you create an object of art. And it, unlike the dolls in the past in a U.S. doll culture, where you would buy a doll, keep it in the box, and never ever change it, and that's how you would keep its value. Right. Uh, these, these dolls gained value and enjoyment by customizing them and playing with them. And you definitely see that if you take a look at any sort of doll hobby dedicated marketplace, or even on eBay or Yahoo Japan, the value of a doll that has been repainted by a famous repainter or has a particular face-up done on them, like, the value increases exponentially because the now there's, like, a double value, almost, where there's the value intrinsic to the sculpt, and then there's the extra value of the artwork that is now on the sculpt itself. Let's talk about those two ideas. So... So let's talk about you as someone that uh, saw this sculpt on eBay with the painting and you absolutely love it exactly the way it is. At that point, you're possibly going to bid on this item. If you can. Well, yeah, and, the, and, and in there begins anticipation because maybe you're, maybe you're bidding against other people and it gets all exciting. And you don't know if you're going to get it. I think that's a really big part. Yeah, so 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 here we're we're uh, doing something exciting and challenging, going back to that dopamine kind of thing. Yeah, and there's also a little adrenaline going into this as well. I think. <laughs> yeah, in this case, definitely, there's a lot more thing that goes into a runner's high. But you know, adrenaline does take part in a run- runner's high. I'm pretty sure there's lots of studies on uh, athletes and why 
what they get enjoyment from. And it certainly isn't the finish line once again. It's the it's the journey to the finish line. Actually, one of the things I was looking at as I was researching for all of this said that recent research has connected that runner's high, the sustained good feeling, with a new chemical kind of they've been finding in the brain. And when you hear what it's called, you're going to kind of guess where they're getting this from. Endocannabinoids, which is basically based off of cannabis. Which right. is why cannabis gives you such a good feeling. The body actually makes the same chemicals that you find in the cannabis plant, and it's considered like the bliss chemical. Okay. Which is what gives you a sustained sense of well being over a period of time. And they're not sure what causes it, but everything that goes into, like, especially in a bidding war, when you're not sure if you're going to get it, you have the dopamine going on because there's anticipation. And there's adrenaline because there's that sense of maybe you get a little fight or flight. You're not, you have to make these hard decisions. And it's like, maybe it's a very exciting. And then maybe endocannabinoids even get in there because of a sustained amount of excitement or effort. Yes. And then finally you purchase it. And usually from a standpoint of, let's talk about this is your brain at the mall. Usually at this point of where you purchase the item in that kind of scenario in a brick-and-mortar store, that's when your low would start to happen. That's true. Now, with our doll hobby, most of our dolls uh, start their lives overseas. There's such a long wait time. Yeah, but even if you're not buying it new, new and maybe you're buying it used, right. uh, you, you're still going to have to wait for that thing to get to your gosh darn door. <laughs> A lot of the times I will talk to other people about as a collector. And being a collector is a whole thing in and of itself. People like to study psychologically why do people collect and why does it bring satisfaction. Which I think has a lot to do with the doll hobby as well. Is there's the hunt. Yes. And I think both of us, I think many people in the doll hobby understand that feeling of the hunt and the satisfaction of going, I don't know if I'll ever be able to find this at a good price, but that... Going through the hunt is just falls right into the whole dopamine thing all over again. Yeah, so so that's a challenge. Or you may maybe even saving up to ex, to afford the one you didn't think you'd ever be to afford to. That's a different type of challenge, which will increase anticipation. Waiting for your doll in the mail will increase yeah. anticipation. Possibly uh, waiting for your custom order from a full custom service system like uh, Volks. Or uh, the similar My Choice styles in Eiffel House and uh, Fairyland. Oh, yeah. Uh, anything like that will increase anticipation, which is very great. Unless, of course, it gets to your gosh darn door and something's broken. Oh, gosh. The amount of times that I look on, uh, for example, Den of Angels, the big website, and people talk a lot about, they share information very candidly, which is very nice. Most of the doll hobby does. And the amount of times that you, someone's, because it's come so far and from sometimes maybe a small atelier or like a small workshop where they might not have the best quality control and the heartbreak of that broken thing. Yeah. Cause then you had all the anticipation and all that lead up and um, possibly might even lead into a di different chemical kind of slew as the dopamine runs out and the, uh, and the uh, other chemicals kick in. Now, that, if that, all that anticipation leads up to a very bad feeling of sadness, disappointment, anger, um, 
it's not as great, and it might even sour your next experience. I've seen more than one person talk about how they had a horrible experience trying to purchase a doll, and it sort of soured them on the whole line. But let's say you do this entire cycle, and it comes in, and it's so perfect, you're crying tears of joy. Like, total moe overwhelmed. <laughs> moe overwhelm zone. <laughs> can't, can't, I can't, can't even. Uh, I, my, oh my feels, gosh. my feels, I can't even, my feels. I just realized. I can't even is the equivalent of Japanese moe. I didn't realize there was an, there hadn't been equivalent to that until like well, a year and a half ago, I guess. I don't know if, well... To go on a slight tangent of linguistics, moe is more of that react. It is an overwhelming feeling of emotional reaction, but it seems to be defined towards a reaction to something that is cute and appealing in a cute way. A I guess bit. so, but I, overwhelmed I could... with emotions. But that is an interesting translation equivalent. Yeah, I feel like it could it could work in most cases. I mean, I'll, I'll have to, we'll have to look into that more. That's another yeah. podcast. That's, yeah, that's another <laughs> podcast. We keep on thinking of different podcasts that we can talk about. That's always Yeah, I know. Idea. That's not even a doll-related podcast. That'll be yeah, like, no. uh, if we're like the McElroy brothers and we have like six different podcasts. Oh my goodness, I hope never. I would never be able to stay in any sort of order in my life. But that moment when you receive something and it's like you get this, there's just a huge emotional payoff in receiving the thing and knowing that this is yours now, and nothing can keep it from you. Okay, so you went through the the dopamine, the highs, the uh, all of that, and and uh, then you hit the end, and it was a big emotional burst, and then it falls off. Yeah. Oh no, this is leading to a fascinating conclusion that, in a way, the op- the process of a purchase makes purchasing addictive. Yes, exactly. Because uh, most of the uh, chemical payoff uh, and the emotional payoff from the purchase uh, happens before the actual receiving of the item, which means, especially on the dolls, which have a long lead up, you want to feel that all over again, which leads to... The very large doll families that we see. Of course, there's other reasons for the large doll families that we see. There's a lot that goes into why someone um, purchases things the way they do. And honestly, yeah, I would like to... I People look at addictive behavior all the time. We see hoarders. We see there's various contemporary, I think within the last one or two years, episodes of things on TLC and other things that go over, um, uh, I think there was one episode each actually that had doll stuff on it. I think one on Lolita and things like that. But there's enough, uh, especially of our U.S. Uh, and English language and U.K., uh, about uh, addictive behavior, and there's actually not not a lot of things in the media focusing on how collecting art uh, or collecting anything can be a healthy behavior. Uh, some of the stuff that I was reading took an interesting point of view on why are we driven to collect things. And talking about dolls, we have to talk about collecting, because ultimately, that's sort of the umbrella the hobby falls under, is a collecting hobby. 
for a lot of people anyway. Like, there's a lot of different ways people enjoy dolls, and I want to get into that in a little bit, about the different common themes that we see and what people talk about, but why it's satisfying for them personally. But one thing about being a collector is there is an interesting, long, theory-driven analysis of collecting behavior and what part it plays culturally for an individual. And they had this interesting... I'll have to put in show notes later exactly who I'm talking about because I don't recall at the moment. But they had this interesting concept about how objects have, in a way, two states. And one state is as an object that is practical. You have a refrigerator because you need to put food in it. But you may not be emotionally attached to the refrigerator. But then there's like a secondary meaning, right? Yeah. Because we have the meaning for the object not as in and of itself an object, but as a possession of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, he was talking about that, like, objects go through these two states, object and possession. And when it becomes a possession, when it's labeled that way in our minds, then there's a whole different level of emotional investment and meaning that we place upon that thing. I can think of just, like, for, for the, especially in the United States, uh, cars. Cars are very uh, attached to identity. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the pa- that point where uh, people name them. Well, I named my car because I am very attached to my car emotionally, let alone as just a vehicle. And I, I carefully thought about the name for my car. I thought about all of the good vibrations that the name for my <laughs> name would give my car. And it's made me horrendously more attached to it than I would have been otherwise. Well, yeah, because, uh, for example, my, my MacBook is called Golden Delicious. Oh, that's right. I forgot. And then and then my Honda Fit is called, which is red, which is, is called Macintosh. Oh my goodness. Because I figured, why not? You have a theme, you might as well stick to it. Yeah, exactly. So 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 we have this thing where my, my MacBook is my computer and that's what I use. Uh, then, then my car is what I use to get around. But then you have these choices you can make with them visually and other things. Oh, yeah. That- that helps them, you identify them as yours, and... And you also kind of use them to define yourself in return. Because, in a way, part of your identity comes built into the collection. You're not just, for example, Becca. You're Becca, and one part of being Becca is that you're Becca who collects this specific thing. Yes. And it's very important they were discussing to have that thing be restricted. Because if you're too broad about what you're collecting, then it induces a lot of anxiety. Because human beings are driven to create categories to understand the world around them. (laughs) Binary. It's it's part of how our brains are wired. We want to make order out of chaos. Because it helps us feel more comfortable and more in control of the world around us. So especially a collection is especially a moment where we can really make an organized space mentally and physically. Where we kind of have a role for every object and even more so than by the object by itself. The object as part of the set continues to gain more and more meaning. The same way, say, a the Harry Potter series, just one book hat standing alone has meaning to itself, but it's part as a bigger narrative of the whole bigger story 
then lends it more meaning individually. Ah, which ex- kind of explains, like, I, I, I feel dissonance in my doll collection, because uh, for my um, Lutz Delfs, um, I have one in an older normal skin, and I have one in a white skin, which are pretty much the two standards, so that feels good. Right. Now, in my Volks, I have one in sunlight skin, and I have one in the normal skin. And does that feel a little dissonant to you as part of your collection? Yes, because I don't have the snow skin. <laughs> You're missing one! And I, I inherently know that there's another piece here to the narrative of my collection that does not exist. <laughs> and it bothers you. Yes, it does. And I don't even know if I'll ever get one. But if I don't get one, I think it'll forever bother me. Um, definitely. Oh, I can completely understand. My collection, last time on the previous episode, I mentioned I had Jerry 06s. I was wrong. I have Jerry 05s. Oh, there we go. Redacted. Jerry 06 is what you have, not me. Felix is a Jerry 06. I should have known that. I guess I was tired. Let's yeah. let's chalk it up to that. Yeah. Yeah, you should. I was very surprised I was listening to it later. I'm like, wait a minute. That is not what that is. But anyway, I have two. And they're both the same sculpt, and they're on the same edition bodies, but one is normal skin, and one is white skin. And having that together like that, where they're, for me in particular, my two dolls that, my human-looking dolls that I currently have, they're very much a set. They're, in my mind, they're sort of like twins or brothers, and they're sort of left and right, normal skin, white skin, and that sense of completion is very satisfying to me because it's also a sort of controlling, a sort of way I can categorize it that makes a beautiful sense that our lives don't normally actually do. Which kind of also brings me into thinking about how we collect what is called a doll family. Oh yeah, that's a very common term within the community. So so we use this doll family to, to represent a collection that may or may not be complete, but the idea is that it's something that's uh, potentially growing like a real family would, but but has but has a form, um, and often the, the representation of ourselves in our doll communities is our doll families, uh, images of them and, and uh, descriptions of them, and uh, even what we would like to get for them. So our essentially we 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 put forward not uh, not ourselves as our identity, but we put forward our collection as our identity. Like the collection stands in for ourselves within this particular community. Yeah, which is kind of cool um, to get into. Uh, another thing where something would stand in for yourself within a community, um, the closest proxy we have in a, a study in a science right now is actually uh, video game avatars. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. Because And even to take it a little more abstractly, online avatars in general, projecting these things act as projections of yourself in a different space, more or less. I, I've, I've read a few... Um, studies here and there, and uh, um, I'll get together some of the uh, information in the show notes, but the general premise is um, there's a little bit of difference between going into a game world as, let's say, Pac-Man or Lara Croft, 
And going into the game world as, let's say, playing the brandy new awesome, uh, which I can't stop watching Twitch uh, plays of, Fallout 4. Oh gosh, Fallout 4. Where you customize your character, and in addition to customizing character, you also have choices within the game world. But even without the choices in the game world, simply making choices for the character, uh, so your Fallout's... Uh, your your MMOs. Your Bioware RPGs. Yes, your 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 shepherds. Your inquisitors. Simply making that, you create an extension of yourself and of your identity. And usually, um, what the science focuses on a lot of time, the, the, the studies, is the idea of creating a, a positive view of yourself. Something with positive images and everything like, like that. Like an idealized self. Right. To quote uh, lovely, lovely Volks. I was just thinking about Volks right now because a lot of what you're talking about makes me think about their key line for the full choice system where they're, in English they translate it as another yourself. Yes, creating another yourself. And in fact, in a Japanese news report on Dolpa 15... Oh, that's long ago. Yes, yes. Um, Kenji Daiso, uh, Super Dolphy marketer from Volks, said, I think they, uh, their customers, enjoy giving form to their secret dreams. From a mail collector, from uh, the interesting, which we could have a whole episode about, well, like I said, the uh, media episode, from a Japanorama episode. Oh my god, not Japanorama. Well, it... it it creates interesting source material, if nothing else, for us to <laughs> examine. I have, I literally have an entire paper about how unreliable Japanorama is. Yes. Uh, however, th- this is from a mail collector. All right, all right. Interview. Interview is fine. <laughs> yes. I don't think just because you're a man, you can't be interested in dolls. Whether they are male or female, they reflect me. They reflect my ideal image, I think. Um, so this idea of of the dolls as a part of yourself, as an image that you project. Um, as And there's studies saying that uh, in, in video games, if you put a, an idealized version of yourself out there and it accomplishes things, if it's given good feedback. So in a game, you might be a great healer and you get props and you're like, yay! In the doll community, maybe you put up a picture of your doll, and it's... And there's always the, everyone saying, oh, wow, that was a great picture, or you look yeah. really great, or... or... Or you look... That doll looks so sexy, and things like that, and you gain personal enjoyment, and, you know, happy feelings from that, and that's yeah. satisfaction, which is great. Now, there's an in- other interesting thing about this, where, where in video games, uh, which I haven't seen much of this in the studies, but I'm sure it exists, and also within dolls, we don't just make idealized heroes or sexy characters or anything like that. We also make villains, people with realistic problems. Deeply flawed people. I find really interesting that... One of a big um, aesthetic theme that many people ascribe to are dolls with something missing, like a limb missing, or with scarring, or with other things like that. Uh, yeah, and a lot of the uh, gore mods are just uh, wonderfully interesting, and I I highly suggest looking it up if you if that thing does not squick you out. Yeah. In that case, I think we're going more towards the the uh, meditative feedback, um, where you're creating art. Yeah. 
like art, going into art, and why does looking at a piece of art calm you down? Or why does interacting with art bring you a sense of calmness? Is when I was reading about the GABA chemicals and how they work and as a product of meditation, the act of completely involving yourself in a calm and quiet space. And I can't think of anything calmer or more quiet than working on a doll which has a form that we can relate to, but in no way is ever going to hurt you unexpectedly or act in an unexpected manner unless you're <laughs> restraining them and it's a delf and it kicks you in the face. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in, in, our, in my uh, much-anticipated episode that I want to do, which is uh, joints... Uh... Uh, function and friction. Oh gosh, that's such a good that's such a good time. But like the process of sitting down with the doll, of dressing the doll, of doing artwork with the doll, of doing the mod, of doing the painting, on many different levels, many people of different skills can enter into this calming space of low level activity where you can become absorbed with, with the doll. And unlike some other forms of art where it really requires a certain skill set, such as painting, where like you need you need a like a large amount of skill set, particularly to do this one thing, dolls give you the option of do, of interacting with them in so many different ways. Everyone can find a way to interact with them in a calming way. In fact, one of the unique things that came out, uh, uh, I would say, pretty early on, especially in the forum setup, was a form of art called a photo story. Oh, yes. Photo stories didn't require much anything other than you creating, much like a writer, to, and writers create their own artwork, creating a story via photos. And often the, the photos would be retouched very little at all, and the only thing driving the story forward would almost be like a script-like uh, writing in between the photos, uh, describing actions and saying which of the dolls were performing the actions. Very much like the way community RP happens, or role-playing online where people together combine to create stories together. They often groups will use very abbreviated um, language for the actions and the wording, but there's an investment in what's happening that gives life to it, much like the photographs give life to maybe very simple text. And as the uh, community grew, and as people with different skill levels got into this, we actually saw photo stories that involved more editing. Um, sometimes lots more lens flare in the case of some science fiction or fantasy. Um, oh, good old lens flare. But the basic point being, it doesn't take a lot of skill as long as you have the object. It doesn't take a lot of skill to start creating and participating in the community. And then you feel more accomplished as you get people feeding back to you. There's also, speaking of people and socialization, there is another happy chemical that is related to this. So, oxytocin. So, if you look at, talk about, like, what chemicals in the brain make you happy, there's four that are often talked about, and we've already talked about a few of them. Right. We've talked about dopamine. Right. And we've talked about endorphins. Well, I don't think we really talked about endorphins, but, um, there's also, there's an S. It's dose is how you can right. figure it out. Serotonin. And then there's oxytocin. Oh, oh gosh, I'm murdering the Latin. Oxytocin. <laughs> toxin? Toxin. 
And basically, this is the chemical that is released in your mind that gives you that feel-good feeling when you have successful oh, social oh. interactions with other people. And when you feel close with somebody, or you're, like, with someone and you're having, like, a really good time, your brain releases oxytocin to reward that behavior. So not only do we have the dolls allowing us to participate in a social sphere, I know for many people, even for me and you, balls are a great way for us to interact and have an excuse to hang out together. And if we hang out together and every time we hang out together, dolls are involved and all of the feel good feelings that are come along with that also are associated as well with the doll hobby. Yes. And, um, just like, uh, uh, Pavlov and, uh, the, the dog, the dog and ringing the bell, the dog and the saliva and the <laughs> food, right. You, and, and it begins to anticipate its meal. Uh, we, we begin to look at our dolls and anticipate the happy feelings. Exactly. We, we, you, there's all these things that can go into positive experiences with the doll itself and particularly low anxiety, positive experiences, I think. Yes. Where, um, because the dolls don't, well, they can speak to our souls, but they're not going to say rude things to us that are unexpected. They're not going, I, I remember reading a lot of people talking about how the dolls give them company, that they feel lonely and the dolls kind of help fill that gap of loneliness because they can trust them to not do something to them. And because of their human, the way we can invest in them as a possession, yes, that gives a lot of feedback that even just the presence of the doll, perhaps, is triggering that oxytocin feel-good feeling because we're having some kind of social re reaction or the memory of a social interaction that we associate with them that's positive, and it just sort of gets in our brain and sort of activates that sort of necessary chemical for us. So, so far we got the uh, anticipation of uh, buying a doll, the, the uh, meditation kind of state of doing art with the dolls, whether it be photo stories in the simplest of forms or editing them into more comic book-like uh, formats. Or even just playing with them or putting them in clothes. Oh, yes. I love just spending time. I, I, sometimes I regret I don't have as much time, but when I when I sit down and I, I bring out the, the soft shoebox full of sections of clothing and I bring out all the dolls and at this point now I have to close the door against the cats so the cats don't steal the dolls wigs. I love how your one cat is just so on the wig. Like not two seconds or not even like two minutes after I had my one boy out was he on the table and opening his mouth to just make off with it. Well on the upside they actually did catch a mouse the other week. Wow. My, my husband uh, got rid of it before the cats ate it which is a very good thing by the way viewers because you don't know what things that might, mouse might have in it and you don't want your cats digesting it because you don't know what will happen. Yeah basically. Yes so he he got the mouse uh, the mouse was a little worse for the wear he released it outside um, but then he, uh, to reward them, he gave them some tuna out of can, so, yay. Positive reinforcement. Yes. But anyway, so the process, the process. So we got meditation, anticipation, um, and then, uh, socialization. So these are all good things. Can you yeah. imagine? We're actually talking in an academic format about good things that can happen to you because of your dolls. I know. So most people, I think... Um, there's, there's a whole episode in talking about why for some people, BJDs of different types hit yeah. the uncanny valley and cause a creep out reaction in some people. 
and how, in a way, exposure to dolls over time lessens that Uncanny Valley thing. At least that's what I found. But so many people approach dolls with this, with a bunch of presumptions. And I think part of those presumptions are children, creepy movies, and... Actually, I think the children thing is a fairly important part of the presumptions many people have when they approach dolls, because then there becomes with this whole suite of presumptions about why people are working with them, which may actually have absolutely nothing to do why someone's actually engaged in this doll. It's not about returning to a childhood, though for some... I think for a lot of people, there's a connection to your childhood there that's very comforting. There's also realborns, the very realistic uh, baby and and early child-looking dolls. Oh, that's a whole collector market right there. There is a very active collector's market. And they're very, very much pieces of art. But uh, man, just like our hobby, every time one of them, every time one of those collectors is portrayed in the media, which is what the common folk see, they see usually a function of the addictive possibility of the behavior where that they'll usually see someone with a very, very large right. collection who, um, addiction is defined as a, a repetitive behavior that is harmful. Right. And granted, addiction can apply to right. more so, than so just hobby. Obviously you have alcoholism, gambling, drugs, Things like that. Usually addiction is, 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 the word is correlated when it's harmful. Usually you wouldn't say, uh, uh, other than like a doctor wouldn't say that someone has an addiction to chewing gum. Because it's not a harmful activity, really. Well, humans are pretty good at making anything really harmful if they try hard enough. To say, um, this is, this is why we have that sign-off that we have, which is the idea that you gotta... You have all these wonderful ways to gain happiness and gain satisfaction from your dolls, but it's important to understand that um, you you don't want to let your 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 happiness highs and lows affect another part of your life negatively. Uh, well, that's the same in any part of your life. You want to keep a balance, and when people talk about hoarding and hoarding behavior, there's some very specific things going wrong when things start leaning in that direction. It's not just somebody who is passionate about something so much that they are using money they don't have. It's When it comes to true hoarding levels, some of the articles I was reading was talking about how part of your frontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that helps you make decisions, there may be something not working properly there. Or there might be other outstanding medical reasons or life pressure reasons or stress reasons. There's always something else going on beyond just enjoyment of the hobby that leads to the behavior that becomes destructive. Uh, to the point where uh, I believe it was on a, a wonderful, wonderful podcast that I look very much, I, I look up to. Yes, uh, Stuff You Should Know. They were talking about how there was actually uh, often genetic predisposition uh, to addiction. Um, they, their podcast about addiction mainly focused on the drug aspect, though they, they touched on shopping and they touched on mm. alcoholism and things like that, though alcoholism is a drug. But- it's a drug that we just accept that we are in low enough doses are allowed to be controlled by everyday folks. And it's also a drug that you're allowed to, uh, as long as you're uh, above a certain age in most countries, buy at the corner store. Like caffeine. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, Caffeine's a drug. So there's a lot of things that go into the addiction. But in the article that I was talking about, uh, this is your brain at the mall, uh, essentially the, the recommendation, because mm-hmm. the dopamine uh, kicks in when it's new and exciting, you'll want right. to come back to it. To make it not new and exciting, so you can see if you're making an intelligent decision or a snap decision, in the case of uh, shopping, you could come back the next day. Oh. In the case of dolls, you could wait Tony's four hours and come back to that website and see if you're still kind of anticipating that or if that snap decision was based upon the fact that it was new and exciting and that dopamine kick was kicking in right then. You know, that also reminds me of how sometimes there will be fads of specific dolls or specific items that become very, very, very popular very quickly. And part of what's going on there is I think we start feeding into each other a sort of excitement. Because nothing gets you as worked up in terms of anticipation as talking to people about a specific thing and sharing that excitement. Yes, then we start getting into uh, the, the, the social interaction uh, chemicals as well as the dopamine chemicals, and it's all very good. So, so here's the other nice uh, recommendation that they had, um, which comes into our, 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 our sign-off again, keep a budget. Uh, they recommend purchasing when you're shopping uh, with a debit card or cash. I.e., if you don't have the funds, you can't buy it. Yeah, now our hobby a lot of the times lives on, since they're very expensive dolls, uh, layaway and other things like that. In which case, um, a budget might not mean necessarily what you have available on you right at that moment, uh, which can actually, if you're, if you're setting up your challenge for yourself, um, Maybe you can set up so you save up so you can eventually buy it with with cash in your debit account, or or maybe you can insure one hundred percent insure uh, through through the means of budgeting out other things like maybe movies or video games or all the brandy new wonderful uh, Disney Infinity figures that I keep wanting to get. And instead, <laughs> you gotta be careful with those. Yeah, and and. And instead, using all the wonderful uh, uh, money that you would normally allocate towards that part of your uh, fun budget, and instead allocating it towards the dolls. Well, it's all about making decisions, intelligent decisions about what you're capable of. And I think the idea that the excitement is such an addictive quality, especially with shopping addictions and other things like that, which can be an easy trap to fall into with our own brains is that making that choice of most dolls, even the limiteds, there's a window of time for you to make the decision. And it's a good idea to, if you know you're kind of excitable (laughs) and everything else, is to look at it, get excited about it, and then keep it a tab in your browser. Or make sure, like, no, I'm going to look at this in two days, and if I look at it again and I still feel the exact same way, that's still, like, heart-wrenching, like, that's amazing. And I have checked into my budget to make sure it's something that I can afford without worrying too much. Then that might be a good decision. Yeah. Like uh, the gosh darn Eiffel House Karina, which has been the background of my PC desktop for. Yeah, it really? I didn't even for... Well, you were looking <laughs> at my Mac, not my PC. No, so it's been the background on there for. Oh, man. Um, two months. Really? 
And every time I look at it, I still melt. <laughs> She's a really beautiful sculpt, let's be real. I mean, there, there's something almost magical or mysterious about when you look at the doll and you get that emotional yeah, rush she, from the aesthetic. She really reminds me of Laura Croft for some reason, which, you know, associates the doll with uh, some fun times I had with my, my sister in my childhood, playing the games together and me trying to figure out the puzzles with her and everything like that. So I think it's... Uh, not to mention just yeah. associating then Laura Croft with Angelina Jolie and those... Uh, I, I like those movies. Not everybody liked the movies. I like the movies. So... I liked the movies for what they were, which was an action movie with a cool lady as the protagonist, and that's where my expectations ended. Well, they had lots of cool references to the actual game, too, and the soundtrack was really, really baller. I own the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, the soundtrack is very good. I appreciate it. I think I even have the soundtrack for the two Raider movies, but part of what's drawing you into her is that memory association with a bit of yourself that you can project into oh, her. Oh, yeah. And the fact that well. she's so very sexy, which I think is part of my idealized uh, self. Like, she's very... She looks confident. She looks sexy. The, the, the picture I have of her on my desktop has her with uh, tussled hair, a staring glance, and I think there's little droplets of water on her face and shoulders. I think I know the picture you're talking about. <laughs> She's very beautiful, very sick, and I, I guess I would I would aspire to be that gosh damn drop dead crazy gorgeous. Um, I think I'm pretty good, but I don't think I'm that good. I'm pretty good. I'm, <laughs> You're I'm acceptable. Pretty good. I'm within Let's an exceptional real. acceptable range of pretty. Um, <laughs> but that aside, it's something that speaks to you on a certain level, and it brings a response out of you, a very okay. deeper response. So I think. Somehow. I think we're nearing an hour, so I think we're almost ready to kind of hit a summary here. I think we hit a lot of good points here. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about this hobby in particular is how there are so many ways to find enjoyment in it. Like, when I was doing a little bit of brainstorming, I went to Den of Angels, and there's a thread that talks about why, do, why are these things good for you? And there are a few threads that we've already talked about, talked about or touched on a few times now, it was just interesting how there were certain threads that repeated themselves. One was companionship, is a feeling of companionship that looking at them gives you a sense of safety and control and makes you feel better or makes you feel less lonely because they're just there. Um, another thread was a love of the creativity someone was able to express with them. Especially, I think, people who... Seamstresses, for example, who can no longer work at full human size because of maybe physical challenges or other things. Even yes. works, well, small is a whole different challenge, but working on something small is a different physical challenge as working on something large. God, the seam allowances. The seam allowances. I know. So, like, but there's the so many ways we created with them. With photography, I like to get into it with photography, painting, sewing. So many different crafts can get involved. And the other two things I saw was the social aspect of the hobby, which we've talked a lot about already, that it was a way the person connected with a friend of theirs, or they met many friends through the hobby, or they enjoy going to meetups, which is another podcast that we would like to do. And the last thing being the collector's drive, wanting to collect a specific sculpt. Like, there are some people who only collect every single version of Delph L possible. 
Or there's people who collect every single version of Tachibana Shiro that Volks releases, including the Yo size and the MSD size and the SD size, the SD17 size, and so on and so forth. And there's those threads come up over and over and over again, and I think all of them can be reflected in just the basic ways that humans find satisfaction Perfect. in general. So, so essentially, we got it down to the anticipation of receiving it, the meditation of the art, and then, uh, to, to be very simple, the socializing. And in addition to that, there's the satisfaction of having a controlled thing. A beautiful, controlled set of things that are part of ourselves and can kind of present ourselves to other people, or that we build into part of our identity. So it gives us great satisfaction to work on them oh, or yes. to build and them. Oh, yes, and the dolls as an avatar of ourselves, as well as the collection as a whole as the avatar of ourselves. So, so it representing uh, yeah. ourselves or a creation of ourselves that we are we are going through great lengths to either. Uh, either aim for or perhaps once again towards the creative realm to um, create a story or an art for. Now the last thing I'd like to ask you, Becca, is I think after talking about everyone else at the very end as briefly as possible, why do BJDs bring you satisfaction? Um, Briefly. Briefly. So the thing that brings the most satisfaction to me when I have a doll uh, in this particular ball-jointed dolls, is that they're the first time where I hit dolls where, as opposed to the previous version of U.S. doll culture where you kept it and you put it in a box and, you know, I, I quite remember specifically, remember right. my dad or my grandmom or somebody saying, okay, now don't you take it out of the box, which wasn't fun. So this was the first time right. where it was, okay, here's your blank slate, now go. My entire satisfaction comes from me creating an image in my head and actualizing it. So, so there's the entire buildup of the anticipation between the idea in my head and then the, the, the moe, uh, I can't, the, 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 I can't pay off of once it was completed. Yes. For example, um, when I received Tempest uh, for the first time after selling her, and I was there. She, she's our, our, uh, my uh, Delphlishy. Um, she was your first. Yeah, and, and she's pieces very of her soul came her. back, sold, couldn't match, came back. You tried her body right. in different ways, different forms. Always comes back I was to that original for the perfection sculpt. in my mind. So. It wasn't working, wasn't working, wasn't working. I finally bought one when it was dis- the d- Lishies were officially discontinued from the Elutz website. And I bought it off of eBay, and it came, and it was a very girly face-up. And I got the doll, and I was happy, and I, I made an unboxing video, um, I guess to get that social high, to see if anybody would uh, uh, ping me back socially from the video. You get to share with it with others and also get that satisfaction of, oh, I have this thing. Isn't that cool? That was all great and everything, but it wasn't until I stripped that paint off, which was beautiful. I somewhat regretted it, but not, not, not in the slightest. Because once I had her painted right, 
and I put her on her body and I put her old clothes that I specifically made for her on her with her eyes that I picked out for her and her hair that I picked out for her. It was the perfect realization of the image in my head and I cried. Yep. Yeah. It's the whole process, how long it took, and we're talking, what Becca is talking about, um, took her several so that years. Two years ago, and I started with college, so that was almost eight years. <laughs> eight years from start to finish of focusing on wanting to actualize an idea. That's so a super yeah. That's a long process. That's a, that's a long, long time of build up and build up, let down, mm. build up, let down, build up, let down, and then boom, you got it. Yeah, yeah. That end result where not only are you invested as a project, but Tempest is very emotionally connected to you to a lot of things and other times in your life. So, Lindsay, since you asked me the question, and I unfortunately took way too long answering it, I'm sorry. You only took four minutes. You did pretty good. We went on an emotional journey together, Becca. Okay. Um, why, why are ball-jointed dolls satisfying to you? I think a lot of it is very similar to what you were talking about. And I'm at a very different part of the hobby than you are. Well, I've been in the hobby for as long, if not longer, in terms of viewing the hobby as Becca has. My ownership of dolls only started about three or four years ago, which is less than half the time that Becca has owned dolls, <laughs> let alone anything else. And I don't consider either of the two Jury Delf 05s that I have to be complete. They're not complete to me yet, so I haven't gotten to that end game but I've always been deeply invested in the collector hunt is something that happens to me. And the process of the hunt and finding a thing and then putting it together, the finding of the thing is a huge thing for me. So that's where my dopamine anticipation gets in. The problem with me is I don't actually like the feeling, I don't like the feeling of an adrenaline rush at all. Which is a little bit strange, but I actively avoid it. So for me, dolls are a way to be excited about something I'm creating and participating in this beautiful piece of art. And for me, art is such a huge thing that that meditative state you're in when you're interacting with them, when you're putting them together, when you're trying to create them into something is a big enjoyment for me. And the social aspect's a big enjoyment for me because it's a way I relate to you. It's a way I relate to a few other people through the hobby. And I really enjoy using that as a vehicle to relate to others. But in terms of the dolls themselves, it's more just the creative process of creating a beautiful thing that I appreciate having around. And unlike a statue or a still figure, which I get, I get so deep into the artistry of how something is made. And the Baldurina dolls in particular are so beautifully made and have so many elements of artistry and craftsmanship to them, from the clothes to the eyes to the face. There's so many levels of artistry to them. I get oh so gosh, the deep into toes. that. Delph toes. Yeah. The Delph toes are yeah, the little nails on the toenails. <laughs> yeah, like things like that bring me just satisfaction as an object that I really, having them around and being able to experience them directly is a big thing for me. And while I sort of, I'm going in a circle here, but the, a still statue, I can really appreciate the artistry that goes into them, but they're not interactive. And you're sort of stuck 
with the statue as it is. And what I really enjoy about BJDs or other movable figures is that I can inject into them a life or a narrative by myself much more easily. So it becomes more a part of my own creative process than just something that stands still. So I think that'll be about it on uh, why are ball jointed dolls satisfying. Uh, so we officially have a new email. Uh, and Lindsay, that new email is... Alright, if you would like to send us comments, suggestions, or anything else you'd like to talk talk to us about that we've already said in the show, or want ideas that you have for thing, other things you'd like us to talk about or address, you can send an email to ninobingo at gmail.com. And that's spelled the same as the title of the podcast. That's N-I-N-G-Y-O-B-I-N-G-O at gmail.com. Ningyo bingo. Bingo. I keep doing that. There's a reason, guys, why in the head of the show, Becca's the one who says the show title. Every time I try to say it, I try to make the two words right. That's okay. Uh, so we do have, of course, our, our website, which is ningyo bingo dot blogspot.com, which uh, we will uh, continue to post our new episodes there eventually, hopefully, yes. with uh, forwards in technology. Maybe we'll eventually have these episodes on iTunes as well. Oh, goodness gracious. Then we'll so, be real people then. As always, thank you for listening to us. I hope you enjoyed our show. Send us comments if you would like. And remember to keep having fun, but keep a budget. 